0: This episode is brought to you by Genre Assignment Specialists. When my chinchilla, a Kipsi, died, I had to ask myself, is this moment a tragedy or comedy? Was it, poor little
1: pookie? <makes noise>
0: or was it, pookie, look what you've done now. <laughs> I'm sure you can imagine the feeling of existential displacement I felt not knowing what random marketing category my life was currently conforming to. And that's when I discovered our sponsor, Genre Assignment Specialists. For my reasonable monthly subscription, their crack team of movie and literary reviewers analyze the moments of my life and classify it. Then when I'm watching TV alone in the dark, oh, my life is bittersweet tragedy. Or picking out cantaloupe at the grocery store. Get ready for the jump scare. And now at every moment, I'm aware of the true dramatic framing of my life. And as for Poughkeepsie's backyard funeral, she got a true hero's send-off. And thank you, Genre Assignment Specialists, for sponsoring the Rereading Wolf podcast. This episode is brought to you by the support of generous listeners just like you. You can learn how to be one of them at patreon.com slash rereadingwolf. And thank you, listener patrons, for supporting the Rereading Wolf podcast.
2: Warning, the following discussion is deliberately riddled with spoilers and unhinged speculation on this nearly 40-year-old book, Gene Wolfe's The Book of the New Sun. You can't read a Gene Wolfe story. You can only reread a Gene Wolfe story.
0: Welcome to Rereading Wolfe. We don't pretend that this is the first time you and we have read these books. We want to understand them in as much detail as possible, and that means considering the works as a whole. Hi, I'm James Wen. And I'm Craig Brewer today we are talking with Brian Evanson who has written many 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 amazing things and um, a I was lot think- of things a lot of things <laughs> yeah he is
2: incredibly prolific
0: and yeah. I was thinking about how to you know I always feel bad when I say someone is a, a blank genre writer because it it never quite fits but um, do you have a preferred way to describe
3: you know i I, I- don't exactly I mean I, I've i gone through different ways of describing it over the years I used to think of myself as someone who's doing new Gothic but that was mm-hmm. a term that never never really caught on and you know I, I kind of think of myself as someone who's doing weird fiction with a literary bent or horror fiction with a literary mm-hmm. bent or yeah, yeah or right. literary fiction with a weird bent or who knows
0: well it's Wonderful stuff, and the thing—I guess one thing we can plug right now—is a new collection just came out called "The Glassy Burning Floor of Hell." Yes, which I have read half of. I haven't finished the second half, but I'm but I'm chugging through it. And the, yeah. the most fun thing to say about this one—it's not really a funny story—but the first one is about a uh, prosthetic murderous leg, right? And, right. Um, which We've is... all been there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yes, I want to
2: talk about that one since you brought that up, Craig. Okay, I want to talk about that. So. The the first story is leg, yeah, and the protagonist's name is Hecla. Yes, and she sort of becomes uh, two personalities uh-huh. in one body. Uh-huh. Is there any sort of deliberate connection to the Book of the New Sun in that?
3: Uh, there, there's, yes. I mean, you could say there's connections between Hecla and Thecla, if you want to think of it Mm -hmm. that way. That that's just a a game for me in some ways. Um, Okay. And and so I I don't really see it as a very direct connection, but, but yeah, I, I I think anyone who's a reader of the book of the new Sun would probably um, think at least briefly about that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's excellent. But, um, but the immediate reason we thought to talk to you was you've just put out a piece on tour and you just told us that there's going to be another piece probably Mm -hmm. coming soon about, about Wolf um, and book of the new Sun. So we thought this would just be, and I know you've mentioned on Facebook, you've mentioned him many times and, and and which is always great to see. And one thing I do have to say is that even though yet you write new Gothic stuff, very dark in, Mm -hmm. in different ways, but if you follow you on Facebook, some of the funniest things I've ever read are your stories about Max, uh, <laughs> who is the opposite of Gothic, yeah. it seems like, or at least yeah. always finds his way out of Gothic into something right. really adorable. That's just an excuse to follow you on Facebook for right, right. no other reason to
3: story. Yeah, I, I actually me. think that's the only reason to follow me on Facebook is that <laughs> my, my eight-year-old son says insane things all the time, and I do my best to record at least the better ones of those.
0: And I got to admit, when you first, when I first read him, um, I assumed you were making them up. I'm like, this is, this is too good. This can't, be but, <laughs> but they keep coming. And I'm like, nah, I, yeah. th- I think this is cool.
3: No, it's, so. it's real. I mean, he's, yeah. I mean, he just, he constantly talks about things and yeah, it's, it's, and he has just a really strange way of looking at the world. So. Mm.
0: Well, yeah. So Wolf, we, um were really just curious. You, I know the piece on tour that's up right now is all about your first encounter with mm-hmm. Wolf and um maybe, I mean, first I want people to go read it, but, Maybe if you would say like how you found it and what your initial reactions were, and then we can talk about, you know, what, yeah what of Wolfs might end up in your work.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, um, when, when I was a kid, I read a lot of science fiction um, and just kind of read it kind of indiscriminately. I didn't know what I was looking for, um, but I knew I liked science fiction and fantasy. And, and so every time we'd go to the library, I would go to the paperback shelves that had um, science fiction and fantasy in them. And there was a particular moment where I realized I'd kind of started it in the A's and was just moving forward every week because I was a little anal. And <laughs> and just, you know, I, I'd never got, you know, I, I'd take five or six books every time I was at the library um, and then read them over the course of the week or two that we were, were gone and then bring them back. So um, you use the uh, Master Olten method right exactly (laughs) (laughs) the the method where you can never get past m basically you know depending on how many books there are we had a small library and so eventually i realized you know i i was just you know starting to get very familiar with all these writers who were in the first half of the alphabet and so i kind of shifted and and started from the end because god forbid that i would actually start in the middle (laughs) and uh and that led me to wolf i picked up wolf at random it was the, uh, the the first book of the, uh, in the book of The New Sun. And I was curious about what it said about the book on the cover. There were things that kind of confused me about it. It looked like it was fantasy in terms of the art and other things. But yet, um, you know, there were people who were both saying it was fantasy and, and science fiction or a mix of the two. And that got me interested enough that I picked it up, took it home, read it. Uh, It was really different than anything that I'd read to that point and just kind of blew me away. Um, And I finished it, um, and then I decided I would go back and try to read the next book in the series because, as you know, the first book in the Book of the New Sun um, ends on kind of a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. Um, And I went back to get it and realized that that was the only wolf book they had in the library. (laughs) And so I ended up talking to the librarian, and it turned out that uh, the second book, The Claw, of The Conciliator, had just come in and had not even been um, set to, to be circulated yet. And so I could I could pick that up and read it. And then, you know, once I started reading that, I was um, surprised that it didn't exactly continue. No. Um, yeah, <laughs> the story is I'd expected it to. Um, and But by the time I kind of had figured out it wasn't going to Continue in the way I expected it to. It it had drawn me in enough that I kind of continued with it.
2: Did you encounter Zelazny before you got to Wolf?
3: Uh, I did. I read a of Zelazny kind of um, uh, uh, I think a, maybe at exactly the same time as Wolf. Mm-hmm. I think I took home Zelazny and Wolf, and and I don't know what else, but but there were one or two other things. And Zelazny stuck with me too. He was someone I read a lot of when I was um, growing up.
0: I'm trying to think of why names who money, <laughs> just, yeah. just to match the set there.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So.
2: so I'm always interested in people who discover Wolf so young because I yeah. was in my early 30s when a friend who knew nothing of Wolf beyond those four mm-hmm. volumes loaned them to me just out of curiosity about what I think, and I can't imagine what I would have made of these stories in high school.
3: I mean, I, I think I don't know exactly. I mean, it was. <laughs> I I think that they just they were interesting to me because they were just so different from anything I'd seen, and um, I couldn't quite figure them out. And so I I think you know one of the things that appeals to a lot of people about Wolf is um, the way in which those books always seem to be have something there that you are are chipping away at, but but maybe there's still something left after you've finished reading the Mm -hmm. book. And and so I think it was that as much as anything else, it just intrigued me. I mean, you know. I'd never read a book with, um, you know, the, the, the strangeness of that duel that takes place in the middle of the shadow of the torture. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, the whole thing about um, the, the, the kind of rising up from the from the water as well. Yeah. All, all those things were just things that I felt like there there were pieces that I, I I almost had but couldn't quite put together. And so one of the interesting things was was when I finished reading it, you know, I knew this was a book I was going to reread. And that had not been my experience with a lot of books, literary or science fiction otherwise. Mm -hmm. And and of course, I have reread it a lot over the years. I've read it probably half a dozen times at this point and still feel like there's things I'm paying attention to in different ways each time Mm -hmm. I I read it.
0: That's something that I still think is fun. We've talked to a lot of people who say that they, yeah, they have, especially writers that they have reread this one many times, which in my experience, that's not, necessarily the most common thing apart from someone whose style necessarily they're trying to really wrap their yeah. heads around but
3: yeah i mean I, I yeah there are writers obviously that are worth rereading and um so so weirdly i mean the people i reread um on a consistent basis i reread beckett's trilogy um Malign, malone dies mm-hmm. and, and the unamable mm-hmm. and then i read wolf and <laughs> and it's a you know kind of weird combination but but i feel both kind of give me something as a writer um that that very few other people too. and you know and to be to be honest it was I went a lot of years without reading wolf I read wolf kind of early on uh, finally went through the book of the new Sun and then probably um, I kind of moved away from reading him and science fiction in de- general in my 20s just because mm-hmm. I got distracted by other things and then came back to him um, I actually had a student when I was teaching at Brown University um, maybe 13 or 14 years ago so I would would have been in my late 30s early 40s at, who liked Wolf and he said you know have you ever read the fifth head of Cerberus by him and and I hadn't I, I'd read the New Sun and and some stories and that was mm-hmm. about it um, and he he loaned it to me and and that just kind of reawakened my love of Wolf that's another book I really love by him yeah. um, and then since then I think I've gone and read everything. And, and reread some things quite a few times as well
2: Yeah, you touch on something of Wolf's style of moving you know backwards and forwards in time during the yeah. course of his telling but somehow you know always remaining very much in the present I think as Joanna Russ put it yeah major events are allowed to pass quickly and then they're easy to miss and we don't get the significance of them until much later
3: yeah well I, I mean I I really like the way in which um, wolf rewards you i think for paying attention to him (laughs) um i mean i think a lot of writers kind of write in a way that their their codes are so clear in terms of what they want you to get out of certain moments or certain Mm -hmm. scenes um that um you can almost read them half asleep and and wolf is not that way i mean i think that wolf is um slightly tricky um, he can be a little bit ac- acrobatic sometimes in terms of what he does. I mean, you, as you say, James. I mean, I think one of the kind of really interesting things he does is he can pass over something that's incredibly important very, very quickly. Uh, it's so quickly that you sometimes miss it and have to circle mm-hmm. back and either read it later or you kind of re- retroactively realize uh, what's happened or what's occurred. And and you know, for for, for me as as a writer, um, what I find interesting about that is. You know, there, there's certain ways in which we think about narrative coming together and narrative being composed. And and Wolf strikes me as someone who's always fiddling with those things and toying with them. He's, he's not interested in telling things in the slickest, most efficient way. He's interested in thinking about, you know, how else can I do this? Mm-hmm. How else can I tell this in a way that um, changes the way in which the reader kind of apprehends it?
2: Also, in your essay, you compare the Book of the New Sun to Tamson Mears' Lightbringer trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I haven't got to it, but it's regularly touted as a good bet for people who enjoy that book. You know, the Gideon, uh, the Ninth, Harold yeah. Ninth, Nona Ninth. Yeah. I don't want to put you in a position of endorsing or criticizing <laughs> someone else's book, and we'll cut this out if you want. But no, no. Uh, do you like that trilogy? And uh, I, I also, do. Why beyond yeah. that? It you know that it blends sci-fi and fantasy. Is there anything else that taps the wolf pleasure sensor? Well,
3: well, so so I I think it's, it's partly that it blends sci-fi and fantasy and does it in a way that um um you know is is reminds me at least a little bit of wolf, but I also think especially with Harrow the Ninth, the the second book in that trilogy, um, the kind of game playing that she's doing in that and the kind of complexity of 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 how she's kind of putting things together. Um, really reminds me of, of, of Wolf. Hmm. And and it's it's interesting because a lot of, I, I really feel like um, Gideon the Ninth feels very different to me from Harrow the Ninth in some ways, um, where Gideon the Ninth is something that you, you, I think it's a very enjoyable book. It's a very funny book. It has a little kind of trickiness to it and kind of puzzleness to it. Um, but it's really in Harrow the Ninth that it, the, the intensity of that just really ramps itself up in a way that's um, you know uh, really re- 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 quite nice and, and and that for me at least feels like it's in the spirit of wolf and it's not you know it's not at all a, a tribute to wolf or no, no, anything no. of that it I just, did, it just feels an idea right um, but but I do think it's like the idea of, of of how can I write something that's mixing you know elements of what we think of as fantasy with elements of what we think of as science fiction. And also um, be trying to make something that feels like a composed or constructed object. And that does really demand that kind of attention from the reader to be able to make clear sense of it.
0: The way that that you were talking there about you know mixing genres, when I first read Wolf, my initial reaction was, oh, this guy's a weird writer. Mm-hmm. And it surprised me once I started looking up more that he's all very rarely sort of grouped with other yeah. you know weird writers as that when he's almost always considered just part of science fiction yeah um but i that's one reason why i was excited to talk to you because your approach is obviously more tied with with that sort of weird like edge of surreal um mm-hmm. blurred things and that's what to me reading wolf was always like was yeah. right on the edge of surreal because it's so strange and mm-hmm. um does that seem right? Or do you think there's, because you were also talking about playing with narrative and the way that he will take yeah. something that seems like it should go one way and twist it, which I guess could be weird too. But um.
3: <laughs> I mean, I, I certainly think he's weird um, adjacent. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's, he, I, I see him as, you know, doing certain things that I see the weird as doing as well. And, and you know, part of the appeal for me. Um, I, I think it depends a little bit on which wolf stories and which novels we're sure, looking at. sure. Um, and, and there is, you know, usually a kind of science fictional element that's pretty strong, um, but not, not always, I guess. And, you know, there's something like you could take a story like tracking song, um, which, you know, is science fiction. I can kind of sort it out, but there's just a kind of, you know, uh, irreducible weirdness to what's going on in that story, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, that makes it so my saying that that story is science fiction tells me very little about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And if I think of that more in terms of what I see is going on in the contemporary weird or, uh, uh, you know, writers who are kind of working in that space now, it, it maybe makes more sense in some mm. of
0: that. And that's a sort of interestingly different idea. Cause I think a lot of times all the people who talk about Wolf online and James and I do this too, there's mm-hmm. often this assumption that you can figure it out, that the, right. the confusion on top is due to, you know, something about the narrator or something mm-hmm. that we're just not being told. And, and, yeah. um, but that's different from, I think how you would read weird stories where you're supposed to be dealing with the strangeness as strange. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, that's a, it's a different way of reading to right. to really always assume, no, there, there's a way to straighten this stuff out.
3: You right. Right. Dig. So, yeah. I I understand that impulse. And I think that's something that Wolf, um, encourages in some ways, Mm-hmm Um, and, and definitely there are moments when I'm reading or rereading Wolf where I think, oh, suddenly something kind of slots into place Mm -hmm. and it, it, it illuminates other parts in the work of the work in ways that can be really interesting and really satisfying. Um, you, but at the same time, I mean, you know, so, so going back to something like tracking song, you can take that story and I can probably sort out all the details in terms of who's who. And where they belong, and what kinds of cultures they're attached to, so on and so forth. But that—that's not at all for me the interesting part of the story. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's—it's it's not that that stuff isn't there. And I think—I think it is. I think Wolf is working in that. You know, I think he's aware of what he's doing, and I—I think he's—he's he's very conscious of kind of where he begins. But I also think that I don't see the weirdness as so much a cloak that's hiding what's. Mm-hmm. Going on as something that is, you you begin with this kind of basic idea and then and then kind of expand into this strange space. And the experience of reading the story is more about that strange space than it is about, you know, figuring it out and kind of like solving the the puzzle.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Um, and and you know, and I, I think you can solve the puzzle, and and I think you can solve the puzzle and still get enjoyment of the the weirdness of it. But, but also, you know, for, for me, it's like the the puzzle solving feels like it's secondary, but Mm -hmm. I know there's, there's a huge (laughs) division in terms of people (laughs) who like Wolf about, you know,
0: but no, I like that. I mean, one thing I've always felt was that Wolf wouldn't be so fascinating if it wasn't still incredibly engaging to read, even when you have no clue what's going on, Mm -hmm. which is more, more weird.
3: Yeah, exactly. Well, when we were talking at the beginning about my story, leg. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that there's a character named Hecla that can be seen is, you know, it's hard. If you've read a lot of Wolf and are are kind of attuned to it, you might think of fecla So, so that's something that's there, and and that is something certainly was was um, in my mind as I was kind of dealing with it. But it's not the point of the story. Um, but it adds a, a, another layer of nuance to what's mm-hmm. going on if you kind of pick up on that. And so, I would say with Wolf, it's like as you start to pick up these. Um, these clues and as you start to see his connections to to mythology, for instance, or to other sorts of things, then those those levels of, of kind of nuance um, and complexity kind of just build up in ways that are interesting. But but I still think that, you know, for me, it's like that first experience of reading Wolf and the strangeness of it and not knowing exactly what's going on and feeling a little off balance like you often do, I think, when you're a kid and reading things. Uh, can be just really amazing.
0: I agree. Even <laughs> though we spend a lot of time <laughs> trying yeah. to untie things when we're talking about new son, but yeah, I still right. I agree.
3: No. And I, I totally, I, I, you know, having listened to the fo- podcast, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I like that you do that. I'm very happy you do that. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. I always say the more you bring to a wolf novel, particularly a novel, uh, yeah. the more you end up getting out of it. I don't know if every connection I've ever made to something in a wolf story is real, yeah. But the, the fact that there was that opening there for me to make that connection certainly added to the enjoyment of the novel.
3: Yeah. yeah. And, and in that sense, he's a very, you know, writerly writer where, where you're kind of there and you're helping him complete the work and, mm-hmm. um, you know, you feel like called upon to kind of participate in the process.
0: The other thing about it that always strikes me as weird is how much we just don't know what's going on, and I always wonder: like, did his editors and the people who bought his stories <laughs> were they smarter than me, and so they knew what was going on? Or but then we had—I think we even mentioned a quote from Damon Knight.
2: Uh, right? That he a, didn't know was what was Yeah,
0: yeah, he didn't know what the changeling was, and that means meant he had to buy it because uh, <laughs> he didn't know how to. Figure <laughs> it out. But right, but no, I've exactly. always wondered about that: like, how how could you sell a story that? is obviously supposed to mean something else, but doesn't, but maybe he didn't even clarify it for the editor, but yeah, I don't know, but it's the, <laughs> that power of the surface, I guess too.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, speaking of which Craig and I have talked a lot about how many writers uh, claim Wolf as an influence, but at no mm-hmm. point in the last 50 years, did anyone say such and such writer is the new Gene Wolf, you know, as so many publishers did with Tolkien in the seventies and eighties. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, that's, there's probably little value in comparing mm-hmm. a writer to Wolf in that way, in the way it was for to, yeah. to, to Tolkien. Yeah, did Wolf do something that was unique, or was he just someone who was operating in the same world as the New Wave writers and Borges and Nabokov and James Joyce and so many others? Why, do, uh, and if so, why did
3: why do writers <laughs> single him out? Um, I, I think, um, yeah. I I do think he did something unique. I mean, I did, I think he did something that um, is connected certainly to those writers. Um, but I also think that, that, you know, the thing that, that makes Wolf someone who's singled out is there is a kind of like approach to the way in which the work is, is, is operating on the page. That's um, distinct from what most people at the time were doing with science fiction. I mean, I think mm-hmm. there's people who are doing kind of, analogous things, but it's not exactly the, the same. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, there is something that stands out. I I've thought about that a lot. I mean, cause there's plenty of, of writers who I like, who I don't feel as compelled to return to or, or don't feel, you know, as fed by, by Wolf. Um, I don't know that I have an answer. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Darn. Cause I'm always trying to find the Wolf secret sauce and someone's going to tell me. <laughs>
3: yeah. I wish I had the secret sauce, but I don't. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> Are there any of your stories that you remember thinking in wolfish terms? I mean, you mentioned Hecla mm-hmm. and, and the leg. Uh,
3: well, the biggest one is is the one that I thought very directly about Wolf when I was working on Is I have a novella called The Warren, which came out from Tor.com. Mm-hmm. And that one was was quite um, – Wolf was quite important to me when I was working on that. And it was probably the first novella and the, the fifth head of Cerberus. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a huge influence on that book. I don't know. Um, you know, for for me, I can feel that very strongly. Uh, but um, <laughs> I, I don't know that if if people are reading it uh, just kind of cold, if they would see it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but certainly, I mean, for, for me, I feel like that book couldn't have been written without Fifth Head of Cerberus. And I feel like there's something that's kind of playing with it and responding to it. in some ways.
0: Well, I, I can guarantee you now, at least a few people who are listening are off to <laughs> find it and no, try and good. figure it out for you.
3: <laughs> yeah. And that's, I dedicate that book to Wolf. And, okay, uh, cool. um, I mean, I think that was, you know, just, this is a kind of acknowledgement of, of the fact that there's the connection. So, yeah.
2: You've read a lot of Wolf, really in kind of a short period of time, really, in the last 14 years or
3: so. Um, Mm -hmm.
2: Do you have a favorite Wolf novel or short story?
3: Um, I really, well, I I love the Book of the New Sun. um, And that's probably the one I've read the most. Um, But Fifth Head of is one I really, really like. And uh, there's just something about the kind of economy of of that and the Mm -hmm. relationship of the three very different parts that really work for me. Um, but but you know I I kind of I don't know I mean I I like m- almost everything I've read in terms <laughs> of the novels, um, including some of the the, the later novels that um, you know are are not always don't always get the acclaim that some of your the, the land across mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> I actually really like the land across um, and I may be out on a limb there because I know that <laughs> everybody loves it but but there is. Um, something about that that worked really well for me mm-hmm. um, i'm less fond of the sorcerer's house um, just because i feel like that's one where i feel like the 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 puzzle aspect of it keeps me out a little bit mm-hmm. i feel like a lot of the books you can read and kind of enjoy whether or not you can follow the puzzles but um, uh, that one i i at least you know when i tried to read it i didn't feel that mm-hmm. way about it
0: and there's a lot of having to figure out what tarot cards mean in this particular <laughs> situation in order to, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. The other one, I'm not particularly crazy about The Wizard Knight, uh, The Knight and the Wizard. Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, I know a lot of people like that as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Fifth Head of Cerberus I love. I love Peace, um, uh, uh, Book of the New Sun. But I think Book of the New Sun and Fifth Head of Cerberus are at the top for me.
0: So one thing I was curious about is I know we didn't mention before, but you've got a background in academic philosophy and yeah. um, even you have a PhD in, in philosophy. It is, was uh-huh. it wasn't philosophy. Is it, I th- thought so. So um, I saw uh, it's your, I, in I you,
3: cr- Critical theory, but yeah, I mean, it's essentially philosophy. And then, yeah.
0: I, I, I read a chunk of it. I just, mm. I had fun cause I haven't gotten to do theory in a long time. So, <laughs> Carnival and Bakhtin and it was good and fun. But um,
3: yeah,
0: one thing, I'm always curious about is people argue about categorizing Wolf in a sort of either modernist or postmodernist idea. And I know that a lot of times with philosophy and literature, those, those terms don't necessarily always mean the same things, but mm-hmm. I was just curious if you had any ideas about any theorists or, or philosophers who might be useful in talking about Wolf. Oh. That's a hard one I know but um and plus i don't, I don't know if you've actually had your head in that philosophy game for a while uh,
3: I, I still i I teach at uh, Cal Arts, and I teach in the aesthetics and politics programs gotcha. here as, gotcha. as well as the um, you know teaching creative writing um so I, I do kind of keep my hand in that um but but yeah, I mean I think that's a hard question um.
0: It's hard for me to, I've spent a lot of time trying to think about it. I Had always want to bring from. somebody in. Nope. <laughs> not no. particularly well. No, no, no. Um, no. Although yeah. it, the only thing I got close for was there was something oddly enough about Maurice Blanchot and uh, the way that you're always with the Well, stories are always kind of writing around some, you know, absent something yeah. that could be the solution to everything else, but you never
3: quite Yeah. I mean, that. that's actually Blanchot's not a bad, um, idea. And, and, you know, he also was a fiction writer as well Mm -hmm. as a, as a, as a philosopher. And then his own, his philosophic writing is sometimes very um, uh, oblique in some ways. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I could see that. I mean, uh, I would have to think a little bit more about that, but, but yeah, I mean that, that at least initially seems like it's, it's a possibility.
2: Yeah. We were just recently talking to somebody about the, general high, high level criticism of, of Wolf, but that so much of the literary criticism and and discussion about Wolf is always focused around what is going on in the story rather than yeah. the higher level stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's one of the, the tricky things about the, 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 the puzzles end up being a kind of trap in a way, mm-hmm. um, in terms of they distract you from other things going on, so...
2: And you mentioned that when you first read the Book of the New Sun, words like fullagen and cacogen, mm-hmm. uh, you couldn't find them in the average dictionary. No. And as someone who always had to look up any word that I didn't feel 100% positive about, this <laughs> made my first read very slow going. And, and my research was not always fruitful in the pre-broadband internet era. Um, do you have a favorite word?
3: Um. You know, I really do like fulogen as a word that I really love. And it may be that that was one of the weirdest ones and the one I had the hardest time figuring out for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, that one. But but all of the, I mean, there's a lot of just little strange, there's lots of little strange words. But Fulagin mm-hmm. is the one I go back to. And I think it's partly because it's always often phrased with that. Um, you, you know, it's, it's often connected the phrase, the, the color that was, 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 was blacker than black or mm-hmm. yeah. you know, there's, yeah. there's various variations of that. And there's something about the kind of thing of having that word and having an explanation for it, which is both an explanation and not an explanation, because it's very hard to think about what the color would be that would always be blacker than black. Um, and uh, uh, that, that, that really worked for me. Um, yeah, some
2: goth band should come up with
3: a the color that's, dark, <laughs> yeah. that's darker than black. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But yeah, I mean, there, there's little things that kind of travel around in, in wolf. I mean, cacogen is a, a, another word I really like. Um, feels like such an expressive word. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, you know, I always felt there was a kind of cackle that was hiding in the cackle. Mm-hmm. So even though I know that's not the etymology mm-hmm. of it. so.
0: But yeah, doing that with the words is so tricky because he's using them like made up words, but they're not. And (laughs) I mean, they, they sort of are trying to get that same effect. Yeah. Like in fantasy, like I remember um, reading Steven Donaldson who loved odd vocabulary and he would just drop strange things in no matter what, but they didn't really serve the same kind of purpose that, that was doing a sort of evoking a world and evoking a different Mm -hmm. familiar, but not um, with what it's doing.
3: Well, and you do feel like with his use of words, they, they don't feel random. They feel like they're kind of connected um, mm-hmm. to, to one another. And so you have more of a sense of a kind of almost like a mesh. Yeah. Um, you know, and the same thing, you get the same thing with names in Wolf. And, um, you, and Especially something like the Book of the Long Sun. You know, there's, there's the, the kind of correlation of names with different kinds of modes of being is, is really remarkable
2: yeah and and also at, at the puzzle level uh you know the connections between types of plants types of animals tend to show connections between the characters themselves
3: mm-hmm. yeah exactly and yeah I, I love that aspect of wolf, but also i I don't read wolf for that if that makes mm-hmm. sense yeah that's that's no, no, the no. kind of um Additional satisfaction. <laughs> <Get familiar. Yeah. laughs> and it's a part of the satisfaction of his, I think it, it shows you that he is being very um, conscious of what he's doing. Right. Um, he's being very intentional about what he's trying to do with the work.
2: But the, once again, the more you more bring to it, the more you get out of it. I remember when we were talking about the word Matichin, I said, oh, okay, it's so it's a sword dance. Uh, that kind of fits. It's not, it's not all that. Impressive for a wolf selection, such a key word. And then someone point out, well, you know, it's it's also Spanish for butcher. It's also mm-hmm. Spanish for for bully. Oh, okay. Wait a minute. Okay, now I can see where he's going with that.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that's it. As you start, as you start to figure out the uh, um, you know the etymology behind some of the words, then then the connections um, deepen. You know right, and it's yeah. not so much that they're explanatory, it's it's, in, in, in fact, I think as you point out, sometimes they, they kind of intensify right. um, your understanding of what's going on.
0: Have you ever taught a wolf story as part of like an MFA program?
3: You know, I have, I, I taught um seven American Nights. Okay. Um, I was teaching a, a novella class, I think is what it was, and, mm-hmm. and it just seemed like um, something I, I could do. And that's a story I like very much. Um, and I uh, expected them to like it more than they did, Mm. (laughs) and so I mean, this is one of the tricky things: the work that you really, you know, the work you like the most. um, It's it's sometimes hard to um, when when students don't respond to it quite as (laughs) possibly as you do. So that's um,
2: interesting that you like Seven American Nights, but you don't like Sorcerer's House because they are kind of in the same or same sort of literature, right?
3: I, I suppose so, but I also think that um, I don't know. There's something about about the context of Seven American Nights that makes more sense to me, and it may mm, be that okay. I'm I'm I can respond to. It. I, I I feel like what I felt when I read The Sorcerer's House um, the first time, and I I've only read it once, and, and probably if I go back and read it again, maybe I'll I'll, I'll see I was wrong. But when I first read it, my my thought was um, as soon as I finished, I'm missing something here. No, um, wow. it didn't. Come. <laughs> and and with the Seven American Nights, I had enough to hold on to, and yeah. and I love that reading experience where where I may not be getting everything, but but I'm getting enough to kind of go forward, yeah. and mm. I feel like I've gained enough. And so I felt like I didn't quite get that reading the Sorcerer's House, and maybe if I went back to it, I'd, I'd feel differently.
0: Yeah, that was my feeling about Land Across. So I uh, I loved the mood of it, man, yeah. but I just so wanted to love more about it.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. but Let's but see. I see for did. what?
3: Yeah. For whatever reason, it's, it's, it gave me enough to feel like I could hold on to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and can I explain to you exactly what's going on in the Please. land? Please. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably can't. Um, but, and, you know, and it's funny because I think with the sorcerer's house, I can kind of see, you know, the kind of fairy traditions that are kind of behind it. Um, but it's still, that doesn't solve, you know, I still feel like I'm missing something. Um, And Sorcerer's House, I I don't know. I mean, it may be that I'm uh, the kind of reader who, if if the mood is enough to, the mood may be enough to carry me through, even though I, you know, I I can figure out some things about what's going on there. There's something vampiric that seems to be happening and so on and so forth. But Mm -hmm. there's there's something very mysterious about that book too, but mysterious in a way that resonates for me rather than making me feel, yeah, like I missed something.
2: I really like your article on tour, not only for its testimony as a you know wolf reader, but also mm-hmm. because and this is common for these articles. The quality of the comments below as well. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely do encourage uh, readers to check out the uh, that article on tour so that you can check out the comments, which has a lot of the things that you know I enjoy reading regarding wolf all the time. Anyway. So cool.
0: Well, I actually wanted to talk to you about your stuff for a little bit. But one thing I wanted to ask you, which is very superficial, but how did you get them to let you do the thing with the four covers? <laughs> Making one <laughs> large cover with your collections? Cause I think that's so cool. And somebody even when we mentioned that we might be talking to you, um one of our guys, listeners, Charles, was like, "No, because now I'll have to buy all the other books that make up the <laughs>
3: collection." Um, it was, uh, it was funny. I mean, I think one of the great things about I work with Coffee House Press, and and they're kind of a mid-range press that, um, you know, is is a nonprofit, and and as a result, I mean, they um, have a little bit more freedom in mm-hmm. terms of just thinking about what they can can do, and. Um, and you know, initially we had this idea of publishing uh, my book, *A Collapse of Horses*, and then reissuing three um, earlier books: *Father of Lies*, um, *Open Curtain*, and um, uh, another book that I'm forget—*Last Days*. And and when we did that, it was they 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 kept on saying, "Let's do something, you know, to make the books feel like." they they kind of are connected or they belong or, you know, something to give a sense of a series and and you know, and the idea is, you know, similar picture but different colors or things like that. And and then, you know, as we started thinking about that, I just I came up with the idea that maybe we could make this this kind of creature that you could assemble by putting the books together. Mm-hmm. And my um, child, uh, non-binary child Sarah, who lives up in Minneapolis, they're, mm-hmm. they're an artist, and they had done some stuff for Coffeehouse before. They'd done covers for them before, and they asked Sarah to do this. And, and oh, so, that's cool! So, yeah, I didn't so know they that. came up oh, with it. Yeah, and then and then what we've done since then is is that the two books that were published since. Uh, song for the unraveling of the world and the glassy burning floor of hell are each made to replace one of the quadrants of the beast. (laughs) Um, And so you can kind of mix and match the parts of, of the creature. And, uh, and I don't know if we're going to continue that or not. I mean, we may have with six books kind of, you know, that you can kind of assemble into a beast made of four books. We may have reached (laughs) our limit on that, but uh, we we may or may not do something different for the next book.
0: I got to say too, that you have some of the best titles. I mean, oh, thank of you. your collection. I mean, like "Glassy <laughs> Burning Floor of Hell" is awesome. I'm, but I'm
2: yeah, very yeah, happy. Yeah, I got to read song. that one. Yeah,
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah that <laughs> and, one and the one right before "Song for the Unraveling of the World." I, I was very happy with, even though I was, I would be more happy if the world had not right. <laughs> unravelled quite so much after it was yeah. published.
0: But that one, I, I used to say that I have no mouth and I'm a scream is my favorite title to anything. And then when yeah. song for the unraveling of the world came out, I'm like, you know what, that, that might replace <laughs> it. Um, yeah. Oh, that's, that's nice
3: of you to say. Yeah. I like that
0: Ellison title as well. That's a mm. great title. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But maybe can you tell people a little bit, like, what are the stories in the new one, glassy burning floor of hell um, that um, what could you um, say
3: about them? yeah yeah i mean i i uh i would say that they uh there's some with science fictional elements some with horror elements um some that combine both of them um and you know there's there's a lot of stuff going on with kind of post human mm-hmm. um stuff uh some stuff going on with kind of eco horror um and then various kind of thematic threads that kind of tie from story to story so it's not a happy book exactly, but I think there are moments that are quite funny in it at the same time
0: yeah well, not a lot of your stories are perfectly happy.
3: No, so, but, <laughs>
0: but they, what I like is that there's, you are able to create this sense of the strange and the weird, which does allude to a bigger world with more hmm. going on, but you keep that strange. It's like, I mean, we'll just use leg just cause we've, we've done it. But, but it yeah. is just such a strange experience of just that one story. But then of course you, you also, which I felt was a little new and different. You've got that whole sort of, Sci-fi space opera world that yeah. is out there too, and it and yeah. just makes the the sort of emptiness of space kind of absolutely horrifying with what yeah. you find out about the end. But yeah,
1: um, yeah, yeah,
0: but yeah. that's not what you often see. And like weird stories are often even the best ones are really good about feeling almost very claustrophobic and strange and on the edge of insanity or something. Mm-hmm. But yours actually. They, they. I guess that unravels the world a little. Yeah, it you know, reaches out as well, which yeah, I and, just and think I hope, is so cool.
3: They, they can be quite claustrophobic. My stories, but also, I hopefully there's a little bit more of an of openness in this book. Mm. And there is, I mean, there is kind of in the middle of the book. You may not have gotten to this point yet. Is there's, there's a story called To Breathe the Air, um, which which it kind of ends in a slightly hopeful way, which is mm. a new thing for me. <laughs> um, and and that one is is one uh, story that I thought pretty consciously about Wolf as I was working on that. Um, oh, cool. Very cool. Um, and, and in fact there's there's things that go on with misdirection in that story that I feel are are modeled after Wolf. Mm-hmm. As well as there's one thing, um, I'm not gonna say what it is, but there's there's almost every review of that story kind of misreads one aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And and that's fine with me. But it's also like there's there's a clue there that if you if you get it changes the story
0: for
3: mm-hmm. you. Um, but also I don't You know, I don't, I don't care if people get that clue in some ways, as long as they have a satisfying experience with the Mm. story. (laughs) That's cool. cool. I don't mean to be so cryptic. No, no, no. That's, you got to
0: be We can't, we we always spoil Wolf when we're talking about Wolf, but we we (laughs) won't spoil your stuff. All right. And I just, since I have you here, I am interested about your background with the whole continental philosophy tradition. Do you feel like there's conscious use of that kind of theory that's in your stories or is it, is it more sort of a a background?
3: Uh, I would say it's more of a background. Um, I mean, I think it's something that probably informs the way that I think about things. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but it's, it's there as a kind of um, a background for, for sure. I mean, one of the tricky things too is, is as time's gone on, I've read philosophy more and more like it's fiction Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that I find it, uh, yeah, I find it actually quite productive. Someone like Deleuze, um, reading, mm-hmm. um, do a lot of work on Deleuze and a thousand plateaus. Uh, I've taught a class on a thousand plateaus. Oh, that's fun. Um, and, and when I was, um, kind of you know, working with him, I mean, I, I felt more and more like even despite the complexity of it and the theoretical kind of thrust of it, it feels, I, I read it very quickly and read it almost like it's fiction. Mm-hmm. And, and that seems satisfying to me.
0: Yeah. And that's how they, in the intro, they say, that's how they want you to use that book. I
3: think they do. I mean, I, and apparently I took them seriously. Yeah. I may be the only person who did, but yeah.
0: <laughs> well, that's good. No, I mean, I've read tons of people who definitely try that, but then sometimes the stories just seem like little allegories. Of a, mm-hmm. of a philosophy idea <laughs> yeah which whereas yours don't <laughs> but i was so okay. excited that it that to find out you know how much of that background you had had so yeah that
2: actually makes yeah. sense though to to read philosophy as fiction i mean look how much fiction has come out of uh, Socrates' uh, mm-hmm. atlantis and Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of all the utopians, uh, uh, cities of, of literature.
0: Yeah, they're worlds. I mean, they're. They, I've I've always thought that philosophy and science fiction and fantasy were very similar because they're both setting up rules for a world.
3: I, I think that's that's actually yeah. true, and probably the appeal is similar yeah. to me. Yeah. yeah. So, and there was something. I mean, I uh, you know, one of the appeals of Wolf to me, I think, as a, a young reader. I mean, there there was this moment when everyone was talking just very briefly about science fantasy Mm -hmm. um and then it kind of just dropped out i mean i don't think people think of it very actively anymore think of it as a genre so much maybe maybe they do and i'm just not aware um but there was something to me about really interesting about um you know my changing sense of of how what was going on in something like the book of the new Sun, Mm -hmm. um and and thinking i was kind of in one sort of world with a certain set of codes and then you know, kind of shifting from there mm-hmm. to another sort of world, and, um, yeah. you know, and, and another sort of genre. Yeah, and oh, then also, yeah. but yeah, but but not really ultimately being able to necessarily completely separate the two right and say this is definitely science fiction or this is definitely fantasy right
0: no so. i i absolutely remember when i first read it and first realized that the tower was a rocket ship because i had mm-hmm. started off thinking yeah this is a you know fantasy-ish thing or in the past or something like that but then it's yeah. a rocket ship and what was cool though was it it's not like it totally shifted gears and it's like no. oh okay science fiction rules instead what you get is sort of like a a broken version of both working at the same time, which was really cool. And, and yeah, that it was that experience of sort of trying to cobble things together that didn't seem like they necessarily worked, but but still keep going. That was so fun.
3: Right. There's, there's something really exciting for that about it as a reader, because you feel like a genre is being made in front mm -hmm, of your eyes. And so, so I think that, you know, a lot of my kind of initial, Enthusiasm about um, the book of the new sun was really very closely tied to, to to just the excitement of of reading something that seemed seemed like it was making its own rules up as it went, but was actually making rules up. You mm-hmm. know, it doesn't seem mm-hmm. random. It seems seems you know very constructed. Yeah, and I, I hadn't read like Jack Vance. I mean, there's there's something you would expect I would have read. Um, well, up. you hadn't
2: got to the V's yet. I right? hadn't
3: gotten to the V's yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I hadn't, I, I'd read some Vance, but I hadn't read, um, you know, the, 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 the stuff that, that you can kind of see as, as being in the science fantasy space at the time is that stuff I, I came across only later Um, clever and stuff like that. So, yeah. And so, so Wolf was really my first exposure to, to, to that kind of playfulness.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I'm, I remember wolf saying that speculative fiction as he called it is the oldest and default form of fiction mm-hmm. uh, and when you think about it, you have if you have a story an old story and they encounter a warlock mm-hmm. uh well and then in fantasy maybe they'll count encounter a wizard and in science fiction they encounter a scientist but they all kind of play the same role yeah. in the story yeah. and yeah i think it, one thing that wolf's stories do is they kind of break down those superficial barriers between old story between myths and and, uh old uh legends and lore and folk tales and fantasy and science fiction and and your stuff kind of does that too and i don't know if you inherited that from wolf but that's kind of what you're doing
3: yeah yeah i mean i i feel like uh it may be partly inherited from Wolf, but I think it is this kind of curiosity about genre. I think there's writers who are very good at staying in their boxes
1: mm-hmm. and
3: those those writers are often the ones who are <laughs> who have the best sellers, to be honest because um, <laughs> they, they've figured out very clearly how to write the kinds of thing um, that you know can be marketed right. and, and someone like Wolf is is just he's so you know he, he doesn't want to stay in his box. You know, even as when you when you think of science fiction, if I was, you know, to ask someone to describe what they think science fiction is, um, probably the description would not fit very well with what we think of Wolf as doing exactly, or it's not the main thing that Wolf is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yet he takes the kind of more interesting aspects of that genre and just makes his own use of them. And then I think you're right. I mean, I think he's very good at doing it in a way that doesn't forget about you know, mythology and, and kind of the fantastical kind of earlier fantastical and, and the combination of those two things really can be really powerful and really interesting. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. It's my my own work does exactly <laughs> the same thing. It's, mm-hmm. I feel like something like Leg, which um, it's taking a fairy tale and kind of transforming it into something in the far future mm-hmm. and trying not to make it either. Science fiction or fairy tale—it's kind of playing with both those things and trying to establish a balance. Yeah, um, and so I, th- I think it's—it's it's, as much as anything. It's about you know w- what tools are available to you, and and how can you use them. And Wolf is very good at just using whatever tool he he wants mm-hmm. um, to do something unique and powerful. Yeah, we we
2: talked about your own genre. You know, are are you? Horror, or you horrific mm-hmm. literary fiction, and yeah, I, I really think of horror as being a side room of fantasy, really, and
3: yeah,
0: which
2: is yeah. maybe why Wolf we'll moves so deftly into horror at times.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that those. I, I don't really see myself as committed to one mm-hmm. um, genre box, and so I mean, everybody thinks of me as as horror, but a lot of the stories are very very fantastical or science mm-hmm. fiction as well yeah. um and and so so yeah i mean i think for me it's horror is as, as a mood that can kind of mm-hmm. move from genre to genre and can kind of be deployed really differently yeah. and yeah that's for me that's one of the appeals about wolf i think he's very good at showing you know the different possibilities of 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 what you can do by by straddling different genres or, or kind of bringing something from one genre into another
0: well, I've always called you whenever I talk to people. It's weird. I, I don't know <laughs> if that's better or worse than horror, but but that's
3: usually weird. Works for me. I actually like weird as a way to think about it. So yeah, yeah. Well, that that
2: is when you when you link horror and you fantasy, you I mean you, you kind of get some Lovecraft in there, and that's yeah, mm-hmm. it 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 is weird. It's all weird now. So yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think Lovecraft really thought of himself as doing horror. No, he saw himself as doing, yeah, weird, and a lot of his stories have a strong science fictional element.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Now I remember reading an argument somewhere where, yeah, somebody was just arguing that you know, Lovecraft is basically just science fiction that is mm-hmm. bad for humanity. <laughs> <And it's, laughs> like that's. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, I, I call you weird. I've told people before that when it comes to the weird writers, I put you and Michael Sisko as sort of my my two tops. Have you, have you read Michael Sisko's?
3: I, I have. I, I like okay. Michael's work and and have I blurbed um, the first edition of the narrator, I think it was. Oh,
0: cool. Okay. Um, mm-hmm.
3: And uh, yeah, I, I like him very much. I mean, I think that Michael's in his very own space.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. He, he His work is is very recognizable as... Michael Cisco mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, and it can sometimes be intense and frustrating, um, but at it, its best it's just it's quite amazing, I think, and quite yeah. unique and yeah. he gets into to, to kind of great spaces with it. yeah, I mean, and he one thing that's great about Michael's work is he he doesn't explain um, mm-hmm. and so you just you kind of have to go with it. Mm-hmm. He's very good at kind of world creation. He's also someone I don't know if you know this about him. he was he's strongly influenced by philosophy. And uh, reads a lot of philosophy and very aware of it. And, and I think that that may come out in the work itself. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the the weird is such a weird category. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there was that great anthology that Jeff Vandermeer and Anne mm-hmm. Vandermeer did a few years ago, um, where they kind of brought a bunch of writers together um, from science fiction and fantasy and horror and and kind of suggested that the, that we could see it as as a modal category mm-hmm. called the weird. Mm-hmm. um and and yeah I mean I, I don't see the weird necessarily as a genre but there is mm-hmm. something about similarities between writers who are working in a different space whatever is their genre is that that to me kind of adds up to the weird yeah and and I would say that um I'm, I feel very definitely part of that uh and and then one of the great things about it is I feel like that kind of locale of the weird is something that is kind of situated on this kind of where, where horror and science fiction and and fantasy all come together, and and Wolf certainly deserves a place there, I think, mm-hmm. considering the kind of things he does. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And some stories strike me as aesthetically
2: weird for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's. A, it's hard to actually define what it is, but some where there's a, a clubhouse where you know <laughs> Lovecraft and and Gene Wolfe, maybe Borges and. Poe right. uh, are all sitting around in big leather chairs and uh, right. you're there too.
3: So Yeah. 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 <laughs> Clubhouse in hell somewhere. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, good. But glassy burning floor of hell just came out and is definitely, definitely worth your time. Yeah. So.
2: Especially if you are a wolf raider, right? Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so thank you so much for talking to us. I, this has been great. And you're, I, you're
3: welcome. You're welcome.
0: I didn't know we would, worked so much about genre classification but it was actually really interesting and <laughs> gave me some ideas actually on some other things but i like that so well, give well thank good. you so much
2: oh you're welcome yeah thanks
0: Unless, is there something else, James or Brian, anything you want to uh, add? I, I will
2: forget something. I will remember something as soon as we're done. So uh, sure. hurry up um, and turn off the recorder so I can remember them.
0: <laughs> Just for fun, we actually have one sort of vague personal connection, but um, Alfonso Lingus?
3: Oh, I, uh, I love Alfonso.
0: Yeah. He's a uh, sort of old friend of mine. I went to grad school when he was retiring. Wow! It was it was funny because he had pretty much checked out, but he would still give like amazing lectures where he'd come dressed mm-hmm. all in. You know, whatever some yes. reflecting <laughs> thing with goggles that would fog up the whole time he was yeah. talking, and but
3: yeah, he's he's wonderful. He's a great guy.
0: It was an introduction, and then you've got a bunch of quotes from him. I know who the word for which you put it, the epigraph. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, know, I mean? yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he he did yeah the introduction for Altman's tongue, and I'm trying to think, yeah, one or two things I've had epigraphs that yeah. I've taken from his work. Yeah,
0: that's great. Now was he because I know you got your PhD in philosophy. Was he one of your Professors?
3: No, nope, I never had him as a professor. I, I ran across um, a book of his called "Abuses" kind of just mm-hmm. randomly, and and that kind of um, got me interested in his work and and reading everything. Eventually, I just sent him Altman's Tongue, my first book, out of the blue because I liked his work and and never thought I'd hear you know anything mm-hmm. from him. But but then he he wrote back, and and before I knew it, he wrote an introduction for that and for for the for the paperback of it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. For, for such a sort of on the surface, strange guy, he was incredibly warm. He was yeah. just always totally inviting to everybody. And yeah, I mean, made us all like, he invited everybody to his house many times yeah. and would greet you at yeah. the door with a, you know, flaming hot toddy. <laughs> <It> <laughs> yeah.
3: No, incredibly warm, incredibly strange. It's yeah. It's a good yeah. combination. In some oh ways. yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. And then I got to say, having, I saw that Deleuze has a nice little yeah. one-liner for your book too. That, that yeah, had yeah. to feel, feel good.
3: <laughs> uh, that was amazing. Yeah. And it, that was a letter from Deleuze. So I basically had, he, he had said he'd do something, um, a little support and then he passed away. And so we just decided it was probably okay to use what he'd said in the letter. Yeah. Wow. Well. Yeah.